The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very well, welcome everybody. You're watching Sportbox. US President Joe Biden warning relations with China should not veer into conflict, holding his first official talks with President Xi Jinping, who called for win-win cooperation. It seems to me we need to establish some common sense guardrails to be clear and honest where we disagree and work together where interests intersect, especially on vital global issues like climate change. Crypto sell-off, Bitcoin heads, heads back towards the 60,000 mark, with Ether also falling from record highs as the infrastructure bill is signed into law with implications for cryptocurrencies. The Dutch government reportedly launching a last-ditch attempt to keep Shell in the country after the oil major announces plans to shift its tax base to the UK and end its dual share structure. Plus, Tesla's market value dipping below $1 trillion as the CEO, Elon Musk, sells more shares. Whilst JP Morgan sues the electric car maker for over $160 million, claiming breach of contract. The EU agrees to widen sanctions on Belarus in response to the escalating migrant crisis on its western border with Poland, while officials hold emergency talks to try and calm the rhetoric. Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping have held the first direct talks between the uh, superpowers since the administration took office. The virtual summit, which lasted just under two hours, saw both heads of state call for cooperation and the implementation of measures to avoid conflict. The leaders discussed some hot-button issues, including Taiwan, with President Xi saying China will take decisive measures if Taiwan independence... Uh, crosses the red line, according to state media. On trade, Biden stressed he would protect American workers from unfair economic practices. Biden stressed the need to set ground rules and improve communication. It seems to me we need to establish some common sense guardrails to be clear and honest where we disagree and work together where interests intersect especially on vital global issues like climate change. Our bilateral relationship evolves, seems to me, to will have a profound impact not only on our countries, but quite frankly, the rest of the world. Meanwhile, the Chinese Premier stressed the need to avoid playing zero-sum games and that Earth is a, quote, global village, big enough for the development of both superpowers. As the world's two largest economies and permanent members of the UN Security Council, China and the US need to increase communication and cooperation. Each run their domestic affairs well and, at the same time, shoulder their share of international responsibilities and work together to advance the noble cause of world peace and development. Well, let's, let's just spend a little bit of time on this and uh, hopefully Sam will join us uh, in a few minutes here. I mean, apart from apparently the conversation being laden with cliches like President Biden saying China must play by the rules of the road and, and so on and so Who's forth. Rules? 
Well, exactly. The and, rules and that's part set of the problem, up in the post-Second uh, World War Washington consensus, those rules. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not the rules. I just wonder yeah. if that rules we're talking about. Yeah, I think those pretty much are the rules okay, right. that uh, liberal Western democracies would like to see everybody play by at this point. But, okay, those I mean, you know, I think it's positive that there's a conversation taking place. If it goes some way towards de-escalating concerns specifically around Taiwan and around uh, some of the more bellicose language that we've had from the wolf warriors, then that will be a positive, I guess. Right, so... Any change in Chinese uh, Taiwan policy? A well, any change in be... the fact that the, Austra uh, the, the various nations have said that they will go to Taiwan's defence? So actually on the thorny issue, no change whatsoever. Well, Let's agree not to talk about it. Well, hopefully we'll see less aircraft being flown into near Taiwanese airspace. You that think? might make a change. You think? It? Well, we'll see. Sam joins us. Uh, let's get Sam's assessment of how this conversation went down. Good morning, Sam. Yeah, good morning to you, Jeff and Steve. Yeah, we've had a lot of commentary coming out from both the Chinese and the US side over the last hour since this meeting wrapped up. What we're learning is that a lot of ground was covered in those three and a half hours. But overall, you would say the tone was pretty constructive. These discussions were described as uh, pretty frank, pretty respectful, pretty open. It was really a chance to lay their differences out on the table, uh, to talk about these thorny issues, but to also uh, compare notes. This was really described as a, a healthy debate uh, and also they didn't stick to script which is uh, a pretty good sign particularly when you when you look at the Chinese side we are learning that as expected uh, Taiwan as you guys say was discussed in a pretty extensive discussion uh, President Xi Jinping said China uh, will have to take decisive measures uh, if Taiwan independence forces cross the red line so sending a bit of a warning uh, to the US side of course we know President Xi Jinping has said he'll smash any attempts at formal uh, independence. Of course, China does see Taiwan as a renegade Chinese province. Uh, Biden, on the other hand, did tell Xi that uh, the US uh, remains committed to this one China policy, which of course recognises uh, Beijing rather than Taipei. But they did say uh, that they were still at odds with Beijing's behaviour uh, in the strait. So as uh, Jeff rightly pointed out, what will be the big question now is whether we'll see a bit of a dialing back of this Chinese military activity around the Taiwan Strait, as there has been some suggestion uh, that this really is an expression of frustration at these uh, closer ties between uh, the US and Taiwan at the moment. So as I say, a lot of ground was covered. We do know that human rights uh, was apparently uh, brought up a number of times. Xinjiang, Hong Kong uh, and uh, Tibet was also uh, brought up. But overall, uh, they really did set a pretty friendly tone at the start of the conversation. President Xi Jinping called Biden an old friend. Uh, Biden, on the other hand, said, he would be hopeful that he could see uh, President Xi Jinping uh, face to face soon. So really, uh, the openly, opening pleasantry suggested uh, that there we, we would see further engagement and communication uh, between the two sides, which is certainly a positive sign in the relationship and a good sign perhaps for global markets. Uh, both sides did underscore their responsibilities to the world as leaders, with Biden stressing the need to really avoid uh, conflict. Of course, uh, experts have suggested that that was very telling as this is really Really what it's all about for the US side. As far as the Chinese side is concerned, President Xi Jinping uh, certainly did say that he was willing to work with Biden, but he also talked about having respect. And so uh, really, uh, China is not likely to bend on the issue uh, of Taiwan, and it is going to be standing pretty firm. And that's certainly what we heard from President Xi Jinping on that issue. Karen, back to you. 
Sam, thank you very much for that. And it does beg the question as to whether this uh, news flow is more positive for China equities at this point rather than international equities, given the domestic crackdown on a whole range of sectors in China. But something we will explore with our analysts and commentators a little bit later on the show. Let's get to some more domestic news. Uh, Biden was having a busy day at home as well as uh, the president has signed his $1 trillion infrastructure bill into law. The flagship package, which received widespread support, looks to create jobs while helping local governments restore bridges, roads and improve internet access across the country. Steve. All right. Thank you very much indeed for that, Karen. Let's take a look at the U.S. markets yesterday. I mean, not very noticeable moves actually across the board, despite the fact, of course, that uh, some of the data was actually rather positive yesterday in terms of some of the forward-looking manufacturing data as well. I just thought I'd revisit where we are because everyone suddenly started getting very concerned about the fourth quarter, very concerned about what rates are going to do, concerned about inflation. Well, you're not that concerned, are you? Look at this. The S&P is 0.8% off its record highs. The Nasdaq is down 1.2% from record highs and the Dow is 1.3% off a record high. So uh, really not too bad considering. But Treasuries have picked up a little bit in terms of the yield. We've got a 160 handle now on the 10-year. Again, nowhere near as high as we were earlier in the year when we didn't have a 6% handle. Oh, sorry, a 6 transitory percent handle. I, I forget, I've got to get my central bank language in right. The six transitory percent handle uh, on US inflation. So what are negative rates now? Yeah, four point something, five point something, depending which one you're looking at too, compared with the inflation. Uh, two year yields, uh, 0.52 as well. In terms of uh, retail sales, we're expecting them today for October. Be a very interesting indication of if we're seeing spreading inflationary prices and what that's doing to the consumer appetite. In fact, I put into Siri today, uh, other uh, audio butlers are available. When is uh, Thanksgiving? I was worried it was this weekend. And I was going to miss something this on this Thursday. Next Thursday as well. So then, of course, we start this splurge into shopping for the holiday season, or at least my wife does anyway. Let us move on, take a look at the dollar crosses and where we're currently trading. 114.14 on the dollar yen. Euro dollar 113.81. Cable trading 134. So the pound remains on the back foot. We've got that very, very dovish. Or are we dovish? I don't know anymore. Andrew Bailey, who's came out yesterday, said, oh, it was a near run thing. It was a near run thing. I mean, obviously, I'm sure he said that to Jeff the other week as well. But it was a near run thing. But now we're not so worried about employment because actually when the furlough ends, we haven't seen mass unemployment in the UK. So as such, we're getting a bit more hawkish. But quite frankly, uh, until Mr. Bailey, who's a, a wonderful chat, but until Mr. Bailey starts giving us consistent uh, communication uh, and indeed then policy moves on the back of that, it might be calling him like his old mate, Mr. Carney, Mr. Flip-Flop. But that's in, just in terms uh, of what they're saying. Anyway, 134 on the sterling dollar. Uh, dollar yuan, I should say, is trading down 0.2 of a percent, really not moving on the back of Xi Biden conversation. Let's have a look at a few commodities here. WTI and Brent, this is interesting. Brent yesterday uh, take a, took a bit of a dive at one stage. We have an 80 handle below 81, uh, now back up to 82, 85 as well. And of course, I was listening to a, a section on the radio this morning where even mainstream British radio was talking about US gasoline prices. Extraordinary, isn't it, really? But uh, they did point out the fact that whilst in the US, and good morning to you all, or good evening, wherever you are in the States, I don't know. Um, the fact is, you, you've got to be you know, $3.50 a gallon for your gasoline, maybe $3.60 if you're in the wrong part of the country as well. Yeah, apparently the equivalent in this country is an eight handle. So we're not too worried about what you're suffering there compared with us over here in Europe. Of course, we have a lot more tax uh, on our product at the pump as well. Gold trading, 1866. Okay, cryptocurrencies. 
Um, don't really know what I'm supposed to say about these. Product that has gone up has gone down a little bit. How about that? There you go. Um, 60 877. And when, when I gave up trying to give you anything sensible about Bitcoin was when I saw one of the leading managers of money in the world, the CIO, one of the top, top managers well, when it was asked a couple of months ago, where it could see its bottom before it had its rally, he goes, well, maybe 30,000, maybe 20,000, I think 10,000 is in play. Now, if you've got one of the top fund managers on the planet saying, basically, just flipping a coin and picking a handle on it, what, what can a mere mortal like me say? But anyway, product that's gone up a lot is now going down a little bit. There you go. That, that's a sensible thing to say. Asian indices look like this. Up 1.2% uh, on the Hang Seng. Nikkei's barely moved. We've got the Shanghai Composite easing off a little bit and the ASX 200 down 7 tenths of 1%. Right, opening calls for European markets look like this. We are... Yeah, I'll call that flat, to be honest, uh, across the board. And uh, as Karen's been pointing out, the FTSE's at its recent highs, but not particularly uh, shooting the lights out, despite the fact that we heard the likes of Jane Shoemake yesterday talking about the, the high dividend yield in the London market compared with some of its continental peers. Right, OK, so uh, here's someone who's been banging the drum about not putting... Uh, core sovereign bonds in his court portfolio for a while. So we've got, we've got to remember that when someone like Mohamed El Arian speaks, he has been saying this for a long while. And like the rest of us, he seems to be talking in the wild at the moment, Karen, because the central bankers aren't listening to him. Yeah, several months ago, inflation really soared to the top of the agenda for investors overtaking the pandemic, and it really hasn't gone away. And the uh, chief economic advisor at Allianz, Mohamed El Arian, has weighed in and told CNBC's Dan Murphy that the notion of inflation uh, is transitory, could be one of the worst calls in decades by the Fed and other central banks. Let's take a listen. I think the Fed is losing credibility. Um, I've argued that it's really important to re-establish a credible voice on inflation. And this has massive institutional, political, and social implications. Institutional, it weakens the Fed's forward policy guidance. Politically, it undermines President Biden's transformational economic agenda. And socially, people forget that inflation hits the poor the most. Mm -hmm. so, so it is a big issue, and I hope that the Fed will catch up with developments on the ground. Mohamed al and then, of course, the messages ring uh, true for a lot of investors when you see very high handles on inflation. The question is whether those inflation handles start to flip and then creep lower in coming months, uh, reinforcing this uh, view from central banks. Or is it central banks that are still going to change their view down the track and catch up with some of the market commentary and say, look, it's no longer transitory anymore. We're looking at entrenched inflation in the system. I think that's been one of the broader concerns for some market watchers who look back in history and say, look, there were transitory elements too back in the 1970s that then led to sticky inflation. This time around, even though we're blaming everything on the pandemic, it may lead to inflation seeping into the system and staying there, uh, keeping prices elevated. And we talk about what that means at this stage we've still got economies that need to keep on growing but if you've got rising consumer prices that does impact the low end of the economy those in society who are, are most pressed when it comes to those weekly and monthly salaries and it could choke off the recovery so a very delicate balancing act but just to push back and one of the other pictures here is that you still have uncertainty around the pandemic if you think about it through the lens of Europe this week we've got lockdowns being reinforced in some countries namely the Netherlands and that does skew the pandemic trends again Again, I mean, we're, we're sort of heading towards exit, thinking that we're on the recovery path, that demand will settle down at some stage and supply chains will get corrected. 
in a scenario like this, you've still got an impact on supply and demand. And uh, that does uh, make it very hard when it comes to forecasting demand growth and therefore inflation. Steve, Jeff. Yeah, let me push back a little bit on that. I, I, I don't think the markets have got a clue. In fact, I'd say the markets are clueless on inflation. So I'm going to go and chuck them out the, the equation and go straight from the central banks and the real economy, if I may, because I don't think the markets are gauging anything on inflation at all that our viewers can um, get their teeth into. I'm, I'm just going to share to you an email I've just received in my personal inbox from Philip. Right Now, this is I basically sent an email um, on Checker Trade. We're doing home serve later, aren't we? So, you know, you've got this thing called Checker Trade in the UK. Mm. Checker Trade is where you can get mm. in touch with uh, tradesmen and women who yeah. have uh, very high marks, and you can basically send them a message saying, I need this, <coughs> doing that. So, I sent young Philip, I don't know if he's young actually, he's been in the business 25 years, he's probably old Philip. I sent old Philip a message last week, can you do some wallpapering for me? Because I'm Rubbish at wallpapering. You're, I know you're brilliant at it. And you're probably, well, I don't know about brilliant, yeah, but, but best not to use the pattern stuff. Yeah, it's well, harder to match yeah, up. Yeah, so Mrs. S has got some pattern wallpaper, and I am right. pants at wallpapering. I have to say, I'm really bad. So anyway, so I sent Philip a message saying, "Yeah, any chance of booking me in? Maybe something before Christmas. It's a small job. Just fit me in. Yeah, send a couple of walls, feature wall, as Mrs. Sedgwick would right, call it nice. as well." Just got this email back. Good morning. Thank you for your inquiry. I'm fully booked until August next year. Right. Wow. So unable to help on this occasion. Kind regards, Philip. Decorating services. Well, anyway, Philip, I'm going to learn how to wallpaper or get Jeff round. But yeah. the point being, this gentleman is not seeing transitory business problems. Yeah. He's seeing fully booked until August next year. Are you watching Andrew Bailey? The fact is, and that is just one tradesman, and I'm sure he's brilliant at his job. He's got some very good ratings on Checker Trade, um, but which I'm not paid to endorse. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that is being replicated on materials, on labour, on services, on goods, finished and raw across the country. I'll give you another example. Uh, young Jack, who's working on my, apparently, my garage at some stage. He was supposed to start yesterday. I haven't heard from him, so I, I sent him a message. and I said, any danger? You know, he goes, yeah, brick problem. It's across the board. When's the central bank going to get on top of this? So, interesting then to see what the big fish are buying. And I think the point that you're making is that we've got still a strong consumer rebound taking place here. And prices and demands are eleva elevated at this point. And let's chuck so, a trillion dollars of infrastructure so into that as well, because it's not just a consumer. Warren Buffett picking up Royalty Farmer Floor and Decor Holdings, so that's a, a floor-laying business. So that's interesting because Berkshire Hathaway then clearly believes in the economic re rebound and consumer sentiment. And of course, we've got retail sales data in the United States later, which will be interesting to see whether it confirms a lot of these trends. Uh, David Tepper buying an HR company uh, and a brick and mortar retailer. So he's also expecting continued pickup in demand here. Michael Burry, um, Lockheed Martin, again, you know, benefiting from an uptick in prices and demand. Uh, and then we've got Tiger Global's Chase Coleman, uh, Warby Parker, which is a glasses business, and Robin Hood, which, mm. as we know, is uh, a well-known um, broker or trading <laughs> right. platform. Um, the only one of these recent filings that, to me, looks as though the investor has said, you know what, I am concerned about inflation running excessively hot here, seems to be David Einhorn, who's loaded up on this silver ETF. Right. So very interesting, you know, we were talking about how you play this current story. It seems to me that a lot of the big fish have decided in their regulatory filings, we're finding out 
just to double down on the consumer story because they continue to see this robust demand going forward. What's curious to me then is Bank of America Merrill Lynch put out its recent survey a couple of days ago and what they saw in earnings estimates was actually flat calls for the fourth quarter. So all year, the analysts have been saying, we revise up, we revise up expectations, we revise up expectations on earnings. This latest survey says, actually, the analysts are now starting to doubt whether the earnings do need to be revised up. In fact, they could be flat, which tells me that even as the big fish investors are starting to say, we're happy to buy into the consumer play, Mm. maybe the analysts are saying, the companies Market will not disconnect. be able to pass on exactly my point. will not be able to pass on necessarily the price hikes and the higher input costs maybe they'll take it in margins which then raises some interesting questions about investors and how you're going to get your return from fourth quarter into when um, philip was it manages to turn up he's and do your wallpaper. He's dead to me. But that well, is the bigger question, isn't it? Where, yeah. where the markets are going and how, where I'm going to find a wallpaper. Absolutely. I think that is crucial. You sure you don't want to pop uh, around? If, if you uh, do a little bit of wallpapering on the side, <laughs> Steve would Sussex. like to hear from you this morning. <laughs> East Sussex. We'll bring you Annette's interview with uh, RVA CEO Marcus Can he wallpaper? Trevor, as the German Utilities Group unveils a 50 billion euro investment drive to become net zero. Question marks hang over supply bottlenecks, though. We'll have that conversation in just a moment. And for more on the virtual talks between President Biden and Xi, you can check out the Scorebox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. On the corporate front, Arve Air has unveiled a 50 billion euro investment drive into green energy as it aims to reach net zero emissions. The German utility group says it plans to finance the transition from its own cash flows, with the bulk of investment going into solar, wind power and batteries. Arve Air shares jumped almost 3.5% on the announcement, although critics point out its continued reliance on fossil fuels. Let's get out to Aneta for more. Aneta, a big investment that will also target key markets from Europe to Asia and the United States. How dramatically does this change Aves' business model? It actually completely changes our WE's business model because currently they're still relying heavily also on coal. But um, we, of course, in Germany have a special situation because Germany is exiting coal and nuclear power at the same time. And that's why this is especially it's, it's needed to be so dramatic in that um, strategic overhaul for RWE. Essentially, what they're saying is that they're pushing on um, to get uh, to build up um, solar, wind, storage, but also hydrogen, a, a big deal, because that's 
currently really needed for the industry, like the steel industry and also the chemical industry, they can't just rely on electric, electric power. So uh, it's a mix and the combination of energy sources there they will be catering to in the future. Of course, the big thing is how to finance that all because 50 billion euro, it's a big check also for RWE. And that's what I asked Markus Greber yesterday at their Capital Markets Day. Our growth plan is fully funded. We can finance it with our strong operating cash flow. And then partly we do farm down, so we sell stakes in our projects or partner with others. Um, and that is, that is more than enough to fund our 50 billion growth plan. So you have <clears throat> very dedicated plans to put a lot of um, yeah, capacity for renewables also on the, yeah, on the ground here in Germany. So how concerned are you about this not-in-my-backyard problem? I'm not so much concerned, I'm more hopeful because the next German government needs to tackle and needs to address this topic. Um, everybody wants to go green, everybody wants to keep the wells and our jobs here, but nobody wants that something is built next to his house. And I think this debate needs to happen because if that is not allowed or not accepted, then we implicitly de-industrialize. And I think if that is, when that is transparent, discussed with the people, they will accept it. Um, and of course, it's also up to the government to define where investments are possible. We have done a lot of infrastructure investments in Germany in the last decades, so I think if somebody addresses it, it will be possible. Uh, let's talk a bit more about Germany, because clearly Germany faces an yeah, um, outstanding problem with exiting coal and nuclear. So how concerned are you about energy security, given our high-intensive in, uh, high, um, uh, energy industry? Yeah, Germany is still a very industrialized country, as you said, so there's a, a very high need for energy. But Germany has also a very good location because the energy supply infrastructure is there. We have a very good pipeline system, import capacities. And in the long run, that will all be used for green energy. Right? So we can use the existing infrastructure for green energy. But we need to do everything to build renewable energy sources here in Germany. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.